Here's what we're going to do tonight, church. Um, all of 1 Samuel 9 and 10 is going to introduce us to a man named Saul. That's what it's all about. Saul's going to meet Samuel. Samuel's going to anoint Saul. And then Samuel's going to announce Saul as God's chosen king for the nation of Israel in these two chapters. And as chapter 8 put a spotlight on Israel and their throwing off of God's leadership, his kingship in their life, if you will, and Israel's just overall attitude about the whole thing and their desire to be like the nations around them. In chapter 9 and 10, we're going to put a spotlight on God. And we're going to put a spotlight on, on three things that we're going to learn about God from 1 Samuel chapter 9 and 10, which is uh, God's dealing with us and when we reject Him, His providence in our life when we reject Him, even though we reject Him, and God's love for us despite our rejection. So we're just going to jump right into it, if that's okay with you. Start with chapter 9. Look with me at verse number 1. It says, Now there was a man of Benjamin, whose name was Kish, the son of Abiah, the son of Zeror, the son of Becheroth, the son of Aphiah, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and a goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he from his shoulders and upward. He was higher than any of the people. Number one tonight, we're going to see that God judges his people by giving them what they want. God judges, God corrects his people by giving them what they want. You start off reading the first two verses, and it starts off pretty well, doesn't it? We meet Saul's father, his lineage. We learn that he's a Benjamite. He's a part of the smallest tribe of Israel. But though they're in the smallest tribe of Israel, they're, they're still very powerful. They're an influential family. That's what it talks about with Kish and his family. Very influential, very powerful family. And then we get into verse 2 and we meet Saul. We meet Saul. And what it says about Saul is he is a choice young man. What that means is he's handsome. He's good looking. He's a young and and handsome man, and, and from uh, all the TV shows or movies that I've ever seen that promoted a king, that's one thing you've got to be, right? You've got to be good looking. That, that checks off a, a box, doesn't it? The second thing, it says he's, he's a goodly. That's what it says. It's, it's kind of a, a weird phrase, but it says he was a choice young man and a goodly. What in the world does that mean? Well, that just means he had a good personality. He was pleasant to be around. Like he wasn't a, a young man that was obnoxious. He wasn't annoying. Like when you came around or when Saul came around you, you didn't kind of brace yourself up and, and roll your eyes and get ready for him because he's just kind of hard to deal with. Not that we have any young people that are like that in this church. But that wasn't Saul. No, Saul was, he was a, he was a good, he had a good personality. He had an infectious personality. He was, he was fun to be around. In fact, it says in verse 2, that there was none in Israel that was as goodly as Saul. All the young men of Israel paled in comparison to Saul. And then it says this, Saul was tall. From his shoulders and upward, 
He was taller than all of the children of Israel. Now, that wasn't just saying he had like a really long neck. Okay, you, you following me? He didn't have a giraffe neck. He was just really tall. So we got three things here. Man, he's handsome. Man, he's got a good personality. Man, he's tall. Does that sound like anybody you know? <laughs> Kelby, right? <laughs> Kelby. No, he sounds like a star quarterback, doesn't he? Like he kind of sounds like a, a quarterback. Like, like when's the last time, I'm sure you could think of one, so don't ruin illustrations, but when's the last time you've seen like an ugly quarterback? No, all quarterbacks are like good looking dudes. They're studs, right? Quarterback's my favorite position in football. I love watching the quarterback. I'd, I'd rather just watch the quarterback's highlights than the actual game itself. Anytime I'm watching football, that's the position I'm watching. I'm just, I'm fascinated with them. They're, they're, they're charismatic. They, they carry themselves well. They're pleasant interviews. And so, and so just thinking about this text, I just kind of wanted to give you uh, an idea of what, what Saul may have been like in person. Would you show the first slide? Oh, not that one. Get that one off. Okay, that's better. I don't, know, I don't know who that last one was. Is that Baker Mayfield of the OU Sooners in a leotard? I don't know. That was weird. That's not an example of a good quarterback. Okay. Patrick Mahomes, right? Texas Tech Red Raider. Amen. Best quarterback in the NFL. Look at him. He's a stud. He carries himself well. He does well in interviews. Who cares that he sounds like a frog? Let's go to the next slide. Tom Brady. That's the goat right there. That is the goat. Next slide. That's the old school goat right there. Joe Montana. See what I mean? That's, that's the kind of personality Saul had. He was good looking. He had a good awareness about himself. He was tall. Uh, next one. The real goat. <laughs> Uncle Rico. All right, you can, you can put it back on the first point if you don't mind. But that was Saul, was it not? Man, he had a lot of things going for him. He had a lot of things going for him. He was good looking. He had a really good personality. He was tall. Did I mention he was tall? So much going for him, yet as we read on, if you'll pay attention, there's going to be some red flags thrown up about Saul. Look with me at verse 3. And the asses of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. Now in 1611 King James, that word means donkeys. Okay? We good? And Kish said to Saul, the son, Take now one of the servants with thee and arise and go seek the asses. And he passed through Mount Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalisha, but they found them not. And then they passed through the land of Shalom, and there they were not. And he passed through the land of, Benjamin, uh, of the Benjamites, but they found them not. And when they were come to the land of Zuth, Saul said to his servant that was with him, Come, let us return, lest my father leave caring for the asses and take thought for us. And he said unto him, Behold now, there is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man. And all that he saith surely cometh to pass. Now let us go thither, peradventure. He can show us our way that we should go. Then said Saul to the servant, But behold, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread is spent in our vessels, and there is not a present to bring the man of God. What have we? And the servant answered Saul again and said, Behold, I have here at hand the fourth part of a shekel of silver that will I give to the man of God to tell us our way. 
are, are, are there some red flags kind of going off in your mind there? In verse 5, we see that, that Saul just wanted to go home. His father had given him a job to do, to go find his donkeys, and Saul wanted to call it quits. He said, oh man, it's getting too late. We need to go home. My dad's going to worry, which he was right. But he, he didn't want to finish the job. And then in verse 6, it says, uh, the servant said, behold, there's a man of God in this town. There's a man of God in this town. He can tell us where the donkeys are. Saul didn't even know where the man of God was. Saul didn't even know that he was in the man of God's town. Much less, much less that there was a man of God there to tell them their way. And then when the servant told Saul about this man of God, he said, well, we don't have anything to bring him. We don't have anything for him. I don't know if that was really a prerequisite, uh, Brother Sid or Brother Mike, if, if that was a prerequisite to go and talk to the man of God, you got to bring him something, I don't know. He says, we don't, we don't have anything for him. We ate all our bread. The servant says, yeah, okay, but I've got a, I got a shekel of silver that we can give to the man of God. Saul was led by the servant. The servant was doing far more leading in this section than Saul was. And he was the servant. So there's three things that we notice about Saul here. Some red flags that are kind of going off in my mind right now. Number one, he lacked perseverance and initiative. He lacked a, a connection with God. He lacked leadership capabilities, which in my mind, correct me if I'm wrong, church, but in my mind, I would think that those three, those three things would be pretty important parts for the first king of Israel, for God's first king. Am I wrong? Perseverance, initiative, a connection with God, a knowledge of the man of God who has stood the test of time in Israel and has led Israel for all these years. He had no idea he was in his hometown. How could he be so naive? He was led by his servant. And those are just... Going off in my mind here. Uh, flip over to uh, chapter 10. Man, this is, this is kind of funny. It's not, but it kind of is in my, in my brain. I, I guess I'm weird. Look at, look at verse 20 in chapter 10. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was taken. And when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was taken. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken. And when they sought him... He could not be found. Therefore, they inquired of the Lord further, if the man should yet come thither. And the Lord answered, behold, he hath hid himself among the stuff. And they ran and fetched him thence. And when he stood among the people, he was a higher than, than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, see ye him whom the Lord hath chosen, that there is none like him among the, all the people. And all the people shouted and said, God save the king. This is what's going on here. Although God had already told Samuel, this man's going to be the first captain over Israel. Samuel was presenting it to the nation of Israel as if they were casting lots to choose this king. So they gather all the nation of Israel together. They're all standing there. Can you sense the excitement in the air? Can you sense the anticipation of all the young men of Israel? They know the elders want a king. They know the elders have asked Samuel to provide them a king. They know what announcement's coming. Can you just sense the anticipation? I might have a chance to be king. I could be the king of Israel. This could be my time to shine. And Samuel says, okay, the, the tribe of Benjamin is taken. That word taken means it means they were announced. So this is, he, he does it really suspensefully. The tribe of Benjamin. So that narrows it down. There's 11 tribes that are just hanging their head. Oh, we're not going to be the, the, the kings here. 
There's one tribe left. It's, it's the tribe of Benjamin. And he says, the household of Matri. So more people, this like knocks off uh, more contestants to be the king. And then he says, Saul, the son of Kish. Nothing. Hold up. He just announced you as the king of Israel. God's chosen king. You're God's man. God's anointed your life. Saul, your king. Hold up, where's he at? Can you see Samuel? Hey, where's Saul? I don't know. I'd imagine they're like on a podium or something. Would you, would you find him for me? Lord, where's Saul? And the Lord's like, he's hiding behind some stuff. Do what? Yeah, he, he's over there hiding behind some stuff. What stuff, Brother Tanner? I have no idea. I have no clue what stuff, but I know he's hiding behind some stuff. Wait a minute. This guy was just announced to be God's chosen king of Israel, and he's nowhere to be found? Does that not throw up some red flags to you? And then Samuel says, when he, they finally fetch him and they finally bring him up there, he, here's the point, hold on, are, are you following me here? He didn't want to be the king. You see what I'm saying there? The man didn't want to be God's king. The man didn't want the task that was at hand. He, he didn't want the responsibility of leading God's people. He's hiding. He's hiding. So they fetch him, they bring him up there, and I can sense the sarcasm by Samuel. And Samuel says, behold, your king. And all the people say, oh, God saved the king. They're all enthralled because it's just funny. The text, the text says, where's it at? Where's it at? Find it, brain. Uh, I got to be in the right chapter first. The text says, when they found him, they fetched him, and when he stood among the people, he was higher than any of the people from his shoulders. Like, that's his redeeming quality. He was tall. Yeah, well, he's, he's not very initiative, and he has no perseverance, but he's tall. He has no connection with God. Doesn't even know who Samuel is, but he's tall. The man's not a very good leader. He got led around by a servant all day long, but he's tall. When we announced him to be the king, he hid behind some stuff, but he's tall. This is your king? Started off good, didn't it? He's good looking. Man, he's good looking. He's got a, he's got a goodly personality. He's fun to be around. And man, he's tall. Digressed, though, didn't it? Digressed. No initiative. No connection to God. No leadership capabilities. And we see, as the story's going to go on here, I love the book of 1 Samuel. It's a great book. And we're going to see as the story goes on that these red flags are going to flesh themselves out in the rest of the book. They are. So, Israel, you wanted a king? Here you go. Here's your king. Saul. Started out great, but man, those red flags are going off in my mind. That's how he deals with us today. Sometimes God spanks us. Sometimes God convicts us through the preaching of this book. And I'd much rather have it that way, by the way. But sometimes God just gives us what we want. Sometimes we make our bed and God just lets us lie in it. Isn't that true? Yeah, we, we want more things, Right? We want more things. What do you have to have to get more things? More money, right? All right, you want more things? You want to live for materialism? Here, I'll give you more hours at work. 
Sure, 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 your marriage may wither. And the heart that you once had for your, that your children once had for you and, and the heart you had for your children or of your children, that's going to go away. But here, you, you take on your hours. Hey, you take on the more money. Hey, you take on more bills. You take on more, more headaches and more stress because you want more things. If you, wanna, if you want that, you go right ahead. I'm going to give it to you. And you're going to be miserable. Man, I just need a break. I just need a break. I'm tired. I just need to rest. I need to relax a little bit. Hey, you, you think they'll notice if we don't show up to, to Bible class this morning? What about one Sunday? Just one Sunday a month. Can we just, can we just miss out one Sunday a month? Man, I'm tired. Got to go to work tomorrow. No one will notice I'm not there for the Sunday night, right? It's just Brother Tanner preaching. And you're all here. I appreciate you all being here. But where's the camera up to you that are at home right now? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Hey. <laughs> hey, one Sunday night's not going to hurt. One Sunday night's not going to hurt. Hey, if we just go straight home after work on Wednesday night, I'm tired. I just need some rest. Guess what? God will give it to you. Man, I'm tired of waking up and reading my Bible and praying. I'll do it at nighttime. No, you won't. No, you won't. I'm tired of getting up and spending time with the Lord. I'm just going to sleep in for a couple mornings, get my strength back, and, and we'll be good. Hold up. If rest is what you want, one of the worst things God can do is, is just say, okay, take all the rest you want. Rest, rest, rest away. Your heart for God will go cold. Hey, your, your kids will notice that you prize rest and relaxation over him. Hey, your, your connection to the people, the fellowship family, that'll go away. You'll lose connection with people. Hey, the, the love that you have for serving and, and helping people to find Jesus, that'll dissipate. Because we need more rest. Man, we're just tired. One of the worst, one of the, one of the ways that God corrects us and judges our lives is by giving us what we want. Hey, hey, young person, any person really, you want that friendship? Hey, hey you want to spend more time with that person? You want to be more involved with that person? Although they have no love for God at all, and they're going to influence you to do things you never thought you would do. But, but you want that relationship? Go ahead. I'll give it to you. See how it works out for you. Mercy. I would rather tonight repent of going my own way than God just saying, okay, buddy, you want to go your own way? Go your own way. The second thought we see tonight is that God providentially governs his people despite their rejection of him. Look at chapter 9. It says in verse 15, it said, Now the Lord had told Samuel in, the, uh, in his ear a day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow about this time I will send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin, and thou shalt anoint him to be captain over my people Israel, that he may save my people out of the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people, because their cry is come unto me. 
God providentially governs the lives of his people despite their rejection of him. Well, what does providence mean? What, is, what does sovereignty mean? That means that, that God is like ruler overall. That God works about his goodwill no matter what. God's going to get his glory. He is. And he doesn't, it doesn't matter how it happens, God's going to get his glory to himself. Because he's a God worthy of glory. So it, our decisions oftentimes, they're not going to thwart God's plan for getting glory to himself. So God, despite our rejection and despite the children of Israel's rejection of him, God's sovereignly still going to get glory from his will. He's done it throughout all the Bible. You look at the, uh, the life of Jacob. God sovereignly led Jacob's life despite uh, Jacob's, uh, most of his life was lived in idolatry, really. He was a deceiver. Whenever God was moving them uh, out of the land, I don't remember the chapter, but, but, but Jacob said, okay, sons and daughters, it's time to get all your gods uh, out from you. We're on the move. That was Jacob, but God sovereignly led his life. You remember the story of Joseph, right? How God led him into that, uh, that, that Egyptian bondage and led him into prison, all for what? God's glory, for God's goodness. Providence, the book of Ruth. That's a great book on providence, isn't it? How God leads this young lady from Moab all the way to Israel to meet up with a man named Boaz, all by chance, of course. And then out from Boaz and Ruth is going to eventually come Jesse and then David and then Christ. But it was just all by chance. It was just because of a family went down to Moab to escape some, some, some uh, lack of groceries in the grocery store. It's all by chance. No, it's God's sovereignty. It's God's providence. The book, is it the book of Esther where it doesn't like mention God's name once and yet you just see his hand all over the book? Man, I love God's providence. I love his sovereignty. And it's going on right here in 1 Samuel chapter 9. How do you know that, Brother Tanner? Well, the dude's out looking for donkeys. This isn't that big, this like isn't that unique of a thing to do. Like how often, I mean, it's like over here on 215 West Walnut. We live in like a third world country where dogs just roam around everywhere. Okay. How often do you drive up to Garden City and you'll sometimes like see a cow outside the fence? So animals escaped back then. It wasn't that unique of a thing for donkeys to escape from where they lived, right? And it's not that unique of a thing for someone to go looking for their donkeys, right? Just mundane things of life. Saul, the donkeys got out again. You take, uh, you take, think of a servant's name, Tanner. You take Theodore. Don't know why, just, just go with me here. Take Theodore and go get the donkeys. Not again. Come on, Theo, we got to go get the donkeys. Just the mundane things of life. But what happens? Through looking for donkeys, Saul is led to Samuel, who then anoints him as king of Israel. All for the sake of God delivering his people from the Philistines, God's providence. Hey, God's providence, God in his providence will get glory from his life despite your rejection of him or just in general. Think about the mundane things of life in your life. Your drive to work, the same drive to work you take every single day. Who's going to take a drive to work tomorrow morning in the 20 degree weather? I'm sorry, I'll be at home drinking hot coffee. It's Monday. Ministry staff say amen for Monday day offs. Monday, he said it but not loud. Thanks, guys. The mundane things of life, right? Your drive to work. 
You know God can get glory from your drive to work? That same old desk you sit at every single day at work. You know God can get glory from your life as you sit behind that desk? Hey, that, that just ordinary day at school. It's just another day at school. Just another day at school. Just got to go to school today. More class, more homework, more teaching. Yada, yada, yada. Hey, you know God can get glory from your just mundane days at school? It's just another day at church. I'm up in the children's department again. It's just another, it's just another impact service. Just serving in the nursery again. Serving on the security team again. I'm just singing in the choir. It's just another choir practice again. The mundane things of life. But don't you know that God does some of his best work during the mundane things of life? His providence shows up in some powerful ways in the mundane. I could, I could take uh, a microphone. There's a microphone somewhere over here. I could take a microphone around this room and, and I could hand it around. And each and every one of you could, could talk about stories in which just as, as you walk... And as you live life, it's like the end of Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Some of you tonight could, could give testimony. If you're walking through life and you look back and you just see God's goodness and mercy trickled all in and out throughout your life. I, when I'm discouraged, um, when, I, when I'm discouraged, I, I love to think about God's providence in my life. I really do. It, it, it encourages me. It, oftentimes it's, it's one of the indicators that, that I am a child of God, just looking back at his providence in my life. I don't believe in coincidences. I believe in divine providence. So, so tonight, I just want to give a little glimpse of, uh, of my story. Just a, just a little glimpse. I like to think back to when my aunt invited my mom to Bible Baptist Church in Slayton, Texas. That was a providential moment in my life. My mom got saved. I eventually got saved in the exact same church. I'll never forget when I was about 20 years old, I had a friend that just thought, man, we're, there, there's more to life than this. And talking about in, in service to God and wanting to rededicate their life to God. And, and I remember just those kind of conversations sparking my own heart for God and my own desire to serve God more. And then three weeks later, I'm sitting at a men's camp. And the last sermon of the men's camp is a call for young men to join the ministry. And I'll never forget that. I felt so weighted and so burdened that God wanted me to preach his word, scared to death. I didn't want to talk in front of people, but I knew, I just knew that God was calling me to the ministry. So I, so I stood up and I gave my life to ministry and I'm so thankful I did. I love the ministry. It's like, it's like, it's awesome. I love it. But just through a men's retreat, just a, just a mundane men's retreat that we go to every single year, God used to call me to ministry. I'm thankful for that. I was working in the oil field and these guys that I was working with knew I was going to go to Bible college. Um, and, and I was sitting at uh, the table one night and I, we were staying in an RV. There was three of us. And he said, hey, Tanner, are we going to go to Bible college? I said, I have no clue. No clue. And he said, you should go to Heartland Baptist Bible College. I had never heard of Heartland Baptist Bible College. Not even one time. Never heard about it. Fast forward a few weeks later, and I'm, I'm talking with uh, a man that I, I love and respect. His name's David Jenkins. He's had a profound uh, influence on my life. And I was talking to David Jenkins on the playground right before Wednesday night church. And uh, I said, hey, man, well, you got some good messages I can listen to. I, I need to hear some, some new stuff. He said, yeah, there's a message you need to listen to. It's called An Alert to the Pulpit and the Pew by Sam Davison. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a look. I'll, I'll give it a try. I listened to it twice and was just flat out bored out of my mind. Not going to lie. I was bored. I couldn't get into it. 
But then one time my dad and I were driving to work together and uh, we lived about 80 miles from the oil lease that we worked at. And so as we're driving, I say, hey, dad, let's listen to this message. Plug it in, start listening. And then this guy named Brother Sam Davison uh, starts talking about alerts. The, the, the message was titled, An Alert to the Pulpit and the Pew. He's talking about alerts he gets on his phone. And alerts that he gets on his phone from Heartland Baptist Bible College. So my ears perk up. I just heard this like two weeks ago. This guy told me I should go to this place. I'm going to listen up. This dude went on and preached one of the best messages up to that point in my life I had ever heard. I was like, I got to go learn from that guy. I want what that guy has. Go to Heartland. Meet my beautiful wife. Get these awesome parents-in-law that, that drive seven hours to come see us uh, quite a bit throughout the year when they could be doing other things. They're here to celebrate their grandson's second birthday. It's a blessing. I went and interned at New Heights Baptist Church in 2015 for Pastor Steve Foster. Right after that, uh, Taryn and I were getting pretty serious. It's getting ready to get engaged. We get engaged and I call him up and I say, hey, man, I'm going into the summer again. I'm going to get married at the end of the summer. What should I do? What should I do? He said, I'll, I'll think about it. I didn't know if I should get a job or go intern again. I had no clue what I should do. He says, you need to go intern for this guy named Jeff Carr. Mesa Baptist Church in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. We got hooked up with Jeff Carr. I went there for the summer. Um, at the end of the summer, uh, for youth camp, we're taking our kids to Pagosa Springs, Colorado. I'm just an intern. We're taking our kids to youth camp. That's pretty mundane stuff, isn't it? Internships and youth camps and yada yada. It's just all pretty. It's just it's like what Bible college students do every year. We get to Pagosa Springs and we meet a couple named Tyler and Jenny Lee Prater. We fall in love with that couple. Like we just we love them. Our hearts were knit together with theirs. It's just mundane stuff of life. We're just doing what we're supposed to do. We're just at this youth camp. I never thought anything of it. Fast forward a year later, I'm uh, agreeing to a one-year internship at a church in Montana. A year after that, it's, the time on that is running out, and uh, they're in search of a youth pastor here. And God puts uh, uh, myself on Tyler Prater's heart and, and Bill Prater and the staff's heart and, and, and y'all on our hearts. Do you see how just the mundane things of life, how where I'm standing at, where I'm standing at now, just we're totally in love with where we're at in life right now and where we're serving in ministry in, in liberal Kansas. Who would have thought? There's nothing special about liberal Kansas except for, I don't know. Fellowship Baptist Church, maybe? But man, I'm looking here and we're just totally, like we feel 100% like we're right in God's, like right in the center of his plan for our life. And we look back and look at all those things. They zigzagged and brought us to this point. That's not that special of a story. It's not that crazy. It's not like a rags to riches story or anything like that. But what I'm trying to say, uh, fellowship family, is that God uses the mundane things of life in his providence, in his, in, his, in his, so get your words out, Tanner, in his sovereignty to bring about his glory in your life. Despite your rejection of him. Mercy. When you drive to work tomorrow morning and it's freezing, God could use that mundane drive to work to pick up the, someone that's walking in the cold. To give someone whose car broke down because it's like 10 degrees a, a ride to work. And they might think about that ride to work all day. Why in the world would they pick me up? Why in the world would they do that for me? You could be a blessing to somebody tomorrow. Or some other Monday. 
Hey, God could use that same old desk that you sit at every single week to get glory from your life. Hey, people in your office can know that person loves God. And while they might, may not love God and they don't go to church and they don't read their Bibles, when tough times fall on them, who are they going to come to for prayer? They're going to come to that same old desk you sit at every single day. Will you pray for me? I'm just going to give you a chance to share Jesus with them. The mundane things of school. It's just another day of school. Hey, there are kids in your schools, young people. College students, there are kids in your schools, teachers that are hurting, that have questions about life, that are confused, that just want to fit in, but they don't. And God could use you on an ordinary Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday to bring about God's glory in their life. And the mundane things of life, God providentially gets glory to himself. Lastly tonight, God never rejects his people when they reject him. Look at verse, uh, look at verse 17 in chapter 10. And Samuel called the people together unto the Lord to Mizpah, and said unto the children of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt. I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of the kingdoms, of all kingdoms, and of them that oppressed you. And you have this day rejected your God who himself saved you out of all your adversaries, out of all your adversities and your tribulations. And you have said unto him, Nay, but set a king over us. Now therefore present yourself before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. God said, I've delivered you from Egypt. I've led you through the wilderness. I've protected you from other kingdoms. I've protected you from adversities. I've guided your life. I've blessed your life. I've always been a help in a time of need for you. And you've rejected me. You said, I don't want you anymore as our king. We want a king like all the other nations. But what does God do? Man, I love this. Look at chapter 9. I love this. Look at this. Chapter 9. This is unreal. Verse 15, now the Lord said to Samuel uh, in his ear a day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow about this time I will send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin, and thou shalt anoint him to be captain over my people, that he may save. Do you hear that? Captain over my people? Do you hear the possessiveness? You're my people? I know you don't want me anymore, but you're my people. I know you've rejected me, but you're my people. You're my people, Israel. You're still mine. You may have cast me off, but you're still mine. Look, man, this is so good. And thou shalt anoint him to be captain over my people, that he may save my people out of the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people. And because their cry has come unto me. That word cry is the same word used in Exodus when the Israelites were crying for God to save them out of Egypt. And here they are again. Man, the irony. Here they are again. They've rejected God. And yet they're crying back out for him to save them from the hand of the Philistines. Isn't that amazing? How they could, they could be just so nasty to God and reject him in their life. Reject him as their king. We want a king like all the nations around us. And yet God says, I've heard you cry. And I'm going to raise up a king to save you from the Philistines. You are still my people. When you, believer, want money, and material items more than you want God. When you reject God for those things, guess what? He doesn't reject you.
Hey, when you, when you want rest more than you want God, you want relaxation more than you want God, when you prize those things over God and, and you reject Him for those things, guess what? He doesn't reject you. When, when we pursue other hobbies and other lowercase g gods and other pursuits that uh, we set above God and we set in our hearts in the place of the throne of uh, Jesus Christ. When we set those things there and we reject God. God, we don't want you anymore. We're going to go our own way for a while. Guess what? He doesn't reject you. When you reject the God that left his throne in heaven, that put on human flesh, that was despised and rejected of men, that bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, who was wrongfully condemned to death, who had to carry his own cross up to Golgotha, who took your sin on his life and he drank the cup of God's wrath for you. You reject him, he doesn't reject you. Man, he's good, isn't he? What a portrait of God. Those nasty Israelites. We don't want you no more, God. I still want you. We reject you as our king. I'm sorry, God, it's not personal, but we reject you. I don't reject you. Man, isn't God good? What a chapter. What a, what a text of scripture. There's three ways I would like us to respond tonight. Number one, it's obvious. If you're going your own way, you need to repent. You need to repent at the preached word rather than repent when it's too late, when God's already letting you lie in the bed that you've made for yourself. There are people in here that need to repent. And number two tonight, trust God in his providence. Allow God to use the mundane things of your life to bring about his glory in your life. And then number three, thank him for his love. We reject God on a daily basis, don't we? And how many times a day does he reject us? Never. Would you stand with me?